Martin Van Buren High School in Queens Village to the FDR Museum in Hyde Park, from Grover Cleveland Shopping Center in Amherst to the Nelson Rockefeller Plaza in Albany. It's 5 p.m. in the five boroughs and across the Empire State, and so it's time for Max and Murphy, your interview and call-in show about the policies, politics, and people of New York City and New York State. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from GothamGazette.com. Happy New Year. Good to see you. Happy New Year to you as well. I think that uh, we should jump right into you explaining to listeners your your introduction there. So Today's there creative edition. Clear theme. These are four New Yorkers who either sought or became president, and the, some of the some of the places named after them across our our fantastic state. Martin Van Buren, of course, everyone's favorite New York president, uh, and FDR, and uh, Grover Cleveland, and Nelson Rockefeller, who wanted so much to become that and never quite did. Those did become the nation's first second appointed vice president, which is, you know, something. And you could mention the the Mario M. Cuomo bridge. We could. That's true. As he he considered it. uh, The plane was on the tarmac. A little bit. And uh, the reason for such uh, tailored introduction today is that we're going to talk a little bit about Governor Andrew M. Cuomo and his... Agenda, his inaugural address, uh, the sort of aura controversy questions around Governor Cuomo, and also the question about whether he's going to run for president or at least explore it. Now, we should say at the outset that he has said he's not doing it. Uh, he has done very little, though, to stop the headlines and the questions around it. And of course, that includes his inaugural address on Ellis Island that occurred last night. We'll also be talking today with one of the many candidates for the post of public advocate. One of the many developments over the past uh, couple of days, at least officially, is that Letitia James became the state's attorney general and therefore became not the city's public advocate. Uh, and so that has created a vacancy. Everyone has seen that coming since the really since the primary, but certainly since the general election. February 26th, mark your calendars, has been targeted, uh, specified as the date for this special election to fill that post. We have a date. We have a date. Tuesday, Tuesday February 26th. 26th. Mark it down. Every that, registered voter in New York City can vote. That's right. It is not a nonpartisan election. Everyone actually has to designate their own kind of special one-time party, which is something we'll talk about shortly. Many, uh, many people are in the race. Uh, whether they'll all be there at the end, we don't know. And we should point out this is a race to fill the vacancy immediately with the possibility, likelihood, of um, a certainly a general election race in November, maybe even a primary in September for the full remainder of Letitia James' term through the end of 2021. That's right. And we could also see a runoff in the fall. There could be four public advocate elections this year, potentially. That's true. So no no runoff excited. provision for the special election, but certainly Correct. in the fall, you could, you could see that. So everybody should be ready to vote uh, February 26th. And on this show, over the next several weeks, we're going to talk to a bunch of the candidates. There are roughly 30 people who've said they're either exploring it or running. Now that the mayor has designated the date as the 26th, you could they have to start collecting petition signatures from registered voters to get on the ballot. They need 3,750, I believe it is. And so we're going to see pretty quickly, they have about 12 days to do it. We're going to see pretty quickly who's actually going to be on the ballot and who's not. And I'm sure this number of, let's just say 30, is going to get knocked down probably by about half, I would guess, but I don't know. It'll be very interesting to see how many are on the ballot. Even 15 would be a very big field. So what we're going to start doing on this show is start inviting the candidates 
candidates on for 10, 15 minutes, hear who they are, what they're doing, what their vision is for becoming public advocate. And once we, you know, we're going to start with some of the elected officials who are running because we have a pretty good sense that they will actually do the work to and, and can afford it and have the organization to get on the ballot. And then we'll move ahead when we have a better sense of who's actually going to be on the ballot with inviting some other candidates on. Um, but certainly it's an interesting race. Whoever wins the special election will have a, a very big leg up to then run again in the fall. But even that, that race could be could be wide open. One of the most interesting things to, to see will be if the winner of this special election, let's just say for argument's sake, it's a Democrat, although you don't run on your on your regular party lines here, but let's say it's a Democrat, like someone like Jamani Williams or Melissa Mark Vivarito or our guest today, Rafael Espinal, a bunch of other Democrats running as well. Will that person then be challenged in the Democratic primary in September will be very interesting. If we have this very crowded race and someone wins with 15 or 18 percent and someone else gets 14 percent, you know, it would behoove probably some of those other people to run again in the fall. Right. And I think it's a fascinating reason to talk about why. I mean, this is a, an office that is, as far as I know, basically unique to New York City. It's an office whose purpose and rationale is constantly debated. It's being debated even now. Uh, you know, uh, some folks have argued that as part of this uh, current round of charter revision consideration, folks consider removing that office from from the city charter uh, because it is uh, something that some some people think is, is kind of an odd fit. Obviously, it has defenders who have seen it having a, a great purpose in the city in terms of challenging the power of a strong mayor and creating an obvious ombudsperson in a city of 8 million people. Um, obviously, it has been a stepping stone for folks to run for citywide and other offices. Mark Green ran for mayor uh, unsuccessfully and for other offices as well. But de Blasio ran successfully for mayor. Letitia James was considered a leading candidate to run for mayor in three years' time and instead became attorney general, the first uh, female and first attorney general uh, of color in the state. So it is uh, obviously the stepping stone of all stepping stones in terms of New York City and even New York State uh, State Office. So interesting contest for because it's one of those offices, frankly, like Attorney General, where the stamp that each candidate puts in the office really defines it. What do you want to do with this kind of nebulous set of powers, limited actual resources, but a potential good bully pulpit for whatever your particular uh, case is? Yeah. And, you know, we can get into this another time, but I think it's an important role. I don't think it should be eliminated. You know, I think there's a very good case to make that uh, it's an important citywide position. I certainly think the city could survive without it. So, you know, maybe I'm undermining my own argument right away, but uh, I think the role as designed, even with a fairly small budget, I think the budget should be increased and should be an independent budgeting situation where it's just a certain percentage of the city budget or relates to the comptroller's office in some way or something along those lines. But um, it can be a very important function to be that ombudsperson, to be a watchdog, to highlight issues that maybe just aren't being paid attention to by the mayoral administration or even the city council. Um you know, but what we want to see from the position, in my opinion, is someone who's going to be outspoken, who's going to use the bully pulpit of a citywide post. Uh, and, you know, we all haven't always seen that. And certainly it was a lot easier when you had public advocates who don't have the same, you know, sort of party label or political philosophy or even a similar, you know, that similar of a political philosophy to the mayor. So it was definitely a little bit more challenging for Tish James with Bill de Blasio, although I think there are many instances where she didn't quite 
live up to the sort of watchdog mm-hmm. moniker of the role with regard to taking him to task for, for things. We should mention also, because our friend Errol Lewis has mentioned it in a recent column, that it's a function of the charter. It's a kind of a, a piece of trivia, but it does have a potential, uh, hopefully never to be realized, real world impact, which is that the public advocate is the number two citywide official. And in the event of a sudden vacancy in the mayor's office, that person would take over. And that's a consideration, at least to keep in the back of your mind. Absolutely. Uh, it, you know, in terms of who you're selecting for that office as a strange kind of um, quirk of existing law, because there is no public advocate now, city council speaker Corey Johnson is also the acting public advocate. Right. Has the has the duties of the public advocate. And he's apparently getting ready to um, sort of dispatch uh, our colleague, Herson Barrero, I believe, you know, had this uh, news, was ready to dispatch some of a few of his top city council people to help run the office, to administrate it, to be, you know, a press person over there. From my understanding, several top people of Tish James's administration are moving with her to the attorney general's office, as you'd expect. So there's a little bit of a hollowing out over there. It's not a big staff to, to, to begin with. And so they certainly need leadership. Uh, they need people to just, you know, keep the, the office moving and to, and to figure out giving it direction. I'm sure there's some ongoing projects, but also, as you said, you know, this is an office that's very much dictated by sort of the whims, interests, priorities of the office holder. So if there's no office holder, somebody's got to figure out what are some of those projects. Corey Johnson has indicated a few things he wants to see the office do. They're all things that the city council could do. You know, this is one of these funny situations that also shows you that the public advocate's office is maybe dispensable because the city council could do some of the some just about all of these uh, things. But, um, you know, there's certainly staff there, attorneys and others that have been doing this type of ombudsperson work and legal work and such that, you know, maybe they have some interesting projects that they want to move forward over the next couple of months. Okay. So we, so yes. Just to round out yes. the public advocate discussion sort of in terms of talking about the political news of this new year, which is not even 20, 48 hours uh, old yet. But uh, Julia Salazar, the, the new state senator uh, from a district here in Brooklyn, has endorsed Jumani Williams, a city council member for public advocate. And Melissa Mark Viverito, the former city council speaker, has announced that she is running on the fix MTA line. As I fix mentioned earlier, uh, candidates cannot run on a party line for this nonpartisan election. So they can designate um, parties specific to this race and fix MTA will be Melissa Mark Viverito's line to contest. And that matters for maybe a tiny bit of media buzz. It matters when they're carrying around these petition sheets and they it says it on there. So it maybe gets a few voters attention. You know, when you sign a petition sheet for a candidate or a campaign, you're just helping them get on the ballot. You're not promising to vote for them. So, you know, if she's sort of showing herself and just saying to people at subway stops and in in housing complexes, et cetera. Hey, help me get on the ballot. And people see, oh, you're running on the fix the MTA line. You know, that's a little bit catchy. And then it will also appear on the ballot itself. If there are, I don't, I don't know who's going into the voting booth undecided in a special election. You know, if you're going out to vote in a special election, you're probably going out, you know, with a candidate in mind, but it can't hurt to have something catchy and interesting party 
line attached to your Even name. Just as a mnemonic device. Yeah, totally. And we'll see what the other candidates come up with. When we talk to council member Rafael Espinal later in the show, we'll ask him what his party line is going to be. Um, the Julia Salazar endorsement is something else we'll have to ask Mr. Espinal about because her state Senate district and his city council district overlap, I think, to a significant degree. So maybe he can explain why his council colleague won her endorsement and he did not. Um, so let's let's move towards our topic for the first part of the show here. Let's get back to Governor Cuomo. Um, before we start talking with a little bit of our take on the governor, we want to invite you to call in. We want to hear from you. Your general thoughts about Governor Andrew Cuomo as he begins his third term. Did you hear his uh, or read about his announcement of his justice agenda, which he laid out his policy agenda two weeks ago? Did you read about, watch, hear his inaugural speech last night? What do you think of the governor? Where do you think he's heading? And really, you know, do you think he should run for president? Do you think that's a crazy notion? Uh, what do you think? So give us a call, 212-209-2877. Uh, that's the number here in the WBI studio. Jarrett, where are you at on the governor and this idea of his leadership and his qualifications and his potential presidential exploration. Well, I want to mention, first of all, that, you know, we are aware that there there is at least uh, at least one other elected official in New York whose name is being touted even more seriously among potential Democratic candidates for president. That is junior state senator, uh, sorry, junior U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. She is among the four Dems, uh, Elizabeth Warren um, and... Cory Booker, Booker, Kamala Harris, as uh, making some some early moves to that. The reason we're focusing on Governor Cuomo here is because we often focus on Governor sure. Cuomo. I think there's probably no name we have uttered more often <laughs> than his. Perhaps Bill De Blasio being a close second, uh, but because the lens for this show is local and state politics, whether or not he is going to run, whether or not he should run, uh, matters. And I think for me, the reason that I think this discussion is worth having is not only because speculation is fun and sort of easier than uh, digging into the details of other stuff, but which we've done plenty of. Which we've done plenty of, exactly. Yes. But, you know, we do tend to get our, our presidential candidates sort of as fully baked political products, and we see them in broad brushes. But here's a chance to look at a guy who maybe will, maybe should, maybe shouldn't run for president, who we literally have sort of seen grown up, and who we see in very, very grainy, sometimes uncomfortably grainy detail from our perspectives as people who cover city and state politics. And so it's a chance to talk about... What do we want in a presidential candidate? What are the qualifications of those offices? Have those changed one way or another since Donald Trump became president with a very unusual resume? And to what extent do we want to have a candidate who checks off certain boxes for us that looks merely that they can win? Do we want someone who's going to win 51-49 or someone who can put together, you know, a broader governing coalition, you know, and, and some, some broader degree of national unity? This is a chance to sort of talk about in kind of a, a sort of guilt-free environment what we want and whether Andrew Cuomo, by definition, meets any of that. Well, right. And it's another opportunity to take a different lens to the idea of what's the governor's record? Who is he? What does he have to run on? You know, I mean, it's not that that different than some of the discussion around does he deserve a third term, which voters just fairly resoundingly said, yes, he does. Um, now, we could talk about all sorts of factors related to that in terms of the money he spent, et cetera. But but undoubtedly, he just won a third term by strong margins in the primary and the general with 
spirited challenges. And uh, it's another way of evaluating him. And then the other part of the discussion, which is very interesting, is, you know, what kind of candidate can do well in a primary? What kind of candidate can do well in a general election? Who's the Democrats' uh, best option or options to take on Donald Trump, assuming he's the Republican nominee, which I don't think is a given. Uh, so it's it's an interesting and worthwhile conversation. It's not just, you know, fun, speculative stuff. At the same time, you know, we should pause a little bit to acknowledge again, Cuomo has said mm-hmm. he's definitely not doing it. But, you know, the problem with that, of course, is that he has continued to stoke uh, the speculation in just about every which way. So, right. right. Yeah. We actually have a uh, first call. Let's hear. Hi, you're on Max and Murphy. What do you think about Governor Cuomo and the possibility he might run for president? Well, I would uh, very much appreciate finding out what happened to the $59 billion that disappeared when he was working for HUD. That's what I'd like to have him answer before he considers running. Can you tell us more about that? When he was um, working, uh, running HUD, there were there was $59 billion that disappeared that he could not account for. And uh, so um, that's uh, what I can tell you about it. Thank you, ma'am. We'll have to look into that. I don't think it's something that either of us is uh, intimately familiar with. So that'll be an interesting thing to, to poke around about. I think it, it gets, a, for me, a little bit, this this issue gets, a, uh, for me, a little bit of the question around Cuomo's HUD tenure, which is not something I've examined in that much detail and have always wanted to uh, more. It's just been a matter of uh, you know time and resources on my part. But um, you know, there's a lot of questions about his time at HUD and how effective he was and sort of where the administration, he was working under President Bill Clinton, you know, where the administration went on housing policy and the mortgage bubble and things like that that I don't know uh, all the details of, I'm fine acknowledging, um, and certainly something that would pop back up in a big way if he were to announce an exploration for president. Like so many of the elements of the Andrew Cuomo story and the Andrew Cuomo resume, this is part of his credential. This is part of what makes him, I think, on paper, a very legitimate candidate for president, if that's something he wanted to do. And again, he has said he doesn't want to, but you know, he was a, a HUD official from the very beginning of the Clinton administration. And then he was a cabinet secretary um, before going to the private sector and then coming back as attorney general. And now he's entering his third term as governor of the fourth largest state in the country. So on paper, in terms of basic qualifications, I think that gives him a degree of experience and a longevity of experience that some of the other people running for president or potentially running for president um, can't claim. But that obviously comes with the pros and cons of having a long record, which is that there is a lot to a lot to dig up. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the other things about about his tenure at HUD that it gets at is the idea that, you know, his career in politics was obviously made by the fact that he had a famous father uh, who was governor of New York, you know, and there's a lot of questions that I saw people raising quite a bit during this recent election in New York around, you know, the fact that uh, uh, his his rise in politics was certainly aided by his famous father. This is, you know, when you talk about this question of qualifications, it's like, yes, certainly he now has this long government resume, but part of the reason that he has it and, you know, others might not is because he had a very easy entry into, into politics. 
uh, there is that. We want to hear from you about your thoughts on Governor Andrew Cuomo, his record, where he stands as he enters this third term, and the possibility of him exploring a presidential run. Give us a call, 212-209-2877. So let's do this. So I'll state the case for him to to run, and and then you say why he shouldn't. Perfect. Just, just as just like we didn't we didn't plan we didn't that, plan but this. that's the role that's the role so, I as prefer. I mentioned, he's got the long the long resume. Um, he has executive experience, which some of the other folks who are touted as big candidates um, do not have. They are primarily legislators. Um, therefore, he is also not going to be directly connected to the investigations of the president, which means he can continue to position himself as a critic of the president, but also focus on delivering. Uh, what in his pra- in his uh, verbiage would be progressive, pragmatic policy accomplishments, many of which he outlined during his inaugural address and as well his first 100 days speech a couple weeks back, and therefore have a record of actual accomplishments to present to folks that it's not just about running against Donald Trump. Um, and I think that those two things combined give him a pretty powerful case. You know, as a white male Catholic, um, there is, uh, you know, a, a, a perhaps uh, never going to be a shortage of white males running for president. But it could be that um, in the end, he is one of the few people of stature with that demographic um, still standing. And that could be to his advantage. Uh, he's been a prodigious fundraiser, whether that would translate over into national politics, especially with others from New York potentially running too. who knows. But he's never been bad at raising money. And that's pretty good if you're running for president. So to me, in a nutshell, that is the jumbled case for why Andrew Cuomo should run for president from a purely political standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a fairly good case. I, you know, I think that uh, where this hit the ro- hits the rocks is in a few places. One, I don't, I, you know, he has a base in New York, but I don't think he has any real strong natural constituency. I don't think he has a strong group of people even here in New York saying run, run, run. Uh, you know, I don't want to put too much into polls. But I believe polls have, you know, have shown that New Yorkers don't really want him to to pursue the presidency. Uh, the you know the idea. I think uh, critics have been right that he has you know sort of solid support, but it's not very deep. Uh, if you had someone less flawed than Cynthia Nixon running against him in the primary, you know, he might have been in some trouble because the. The Democratic base, I think, feels very mixed about him. Um, So I just don't think that there's any real group of people who wants him to be president so badly. And that's partly because he's been this triangulator at a time when people really want a lot of purity. Um, You know, he has results, as you've mentioned, but he's also clearly shown Democrats that he's much more interested in sort of uh, this middle sort of ground that he's tread and the... And the split legislature that he's encouraged, you know, he said in his inaugural address that he feels liberated now that there's going to be a Democratic legislature. And obviously many eyes rolled when he said that because people know better. A lot of people who watch closely know that that's, you know, he may feel that way now because he's ready to move on some of this stuff because he's moved leftward. But, you know, he really hasn't felt um so restrained, I don't think, uh, or at least restrained in a way that he doesn't want to be by a Republican state Senate. The other thing is, you know, this field of candidates that's going to be in this primary. Now, some people who have been flirting with it may decide not to run, such as Gillibrand or Kamala Harris or some others, but it looks like a lot of them are going to throw their hats in the ring. Elizabeth Warren just did, certainly. 
he just, I don't think has some of the qualities and hasn't been sort of in the conversation nationally in the way that a lot of them have. And I, and he, you know, he hasn't traveled the country. He doesn't really have the contacts. I just don't see him being able to really get it going in the way that some of these other candidates that have both the substance and sort of the charisma and the celebrity in a political sense, uh, have, and that goes from Bernie Sanders to Kamala Harris to Elizabeth Warren and down the list, even Cory Booker. Um, you know, I just don't think that Cuomo winds up standing out in any significant way if he starts hitting the campaign trail. And the last thing I'll say on that is also that I don't think he wants to do it. I don't think he likes to do it. I think he might want to be president, but I don't think he wants to campaign for president. Uh, I don't think he wants to go around the country visiting places and shaking hands. That is not who he is. I think that's a great point. I think that, you know, the assumption when a a person reaches a certain level in political achievement in the country is that they want to run for president and they may want to be president um, or they may not. I mean, being governor of New York is a pretty great job. It's a big, important state. It's got the biggest city in the country as as part of his portfolio. Uh, you know, it's a place where you can, you have all the trappings of, of power, but it doesn't disfigure your life the way that being president would. And he's a man with three, you know, relatively young daughters. He's got a partner who has had some health trouble. It might just not be something he wants to do. And we, we probably should assume that he is not um, thirsting for that. But I don't think anybody two years out from a presidential election in the history of the Republic has been able to say that they were at lock on getting elected, uh, with the exception maybe of like George Washington and Dwight. <laughs> Dwight Eisenhower. And so it means two years of, of subjecting your life to uh, to tremendous disorder on the odd chance you might get in. And obviously, as Hillary Clinton proved, all the resume in the world doesn't necessarily mean you will. Um, I do think that he does not have a clear path to a, a real foot in the race. But I think he is in this interesting position. As you mentioned, he's denied he wants to run. He's not doing a lot to actually extinguish the speculation. He knows the New York media is apt to jump as we are jumping right now to that speculation um, because it's beneficial f- to him. But it also allows him to you know, keep his name just enough on the edges of the conversation that if these early front runners kind of flame out, if there is a lot of infighting, that he can steadily rack up achievements here and maybe in six months' time it's a different picture. And I think it was interesting uh, earlier today, he talked about how he feels former Vice President Joe Biden is the really the logical choice because that really would be his lane of kind of establishment government, you know, center to center left. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right, exactly. That if Biden is running, it wouldn't make any sense for Cuomo and frankly, many other people uh, to maybe stay in the race. Let me also say a couple of quick other things. And so I think I think it's pretty much a guarantee that if Biden runs, Cuomo doesn't. But um, if Cuomo were to explore it, he may have, as you got, to and and with this field of largely legislators you know he may have the most sort of at least on the appearance of things, impressive list of accomplishments because he's been an executive who's gotten a bunch of sort of big ticket items done. So he may actually have a very impressive sort of scorecard to put in front of people when you talk about, uh, you know, marriage equality, gun control, scholarship, scholarship, minimum wage increases. You know, there's holes to poke in some of those, but he certainly has that list. And the other thing I know I've said this before, you're probably sick of hearing me say this, but he's about to have several more. Right. And so 
if he's dismissed this notion now, let's talk after the budget's passed April 1st. He's got a bunch of new progressive policy wins. He's eliminated cash bail in New York. He's passed the DREAM Act, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. Joe Biden decides not to do it. He's got those new accomplishments. That might be the time where we actually see it. Let me just say one other quick thing, which is we need to mention the name Michael Bloomberg because we're in New York, obviously, and we're talking about New Yorkers that could possibly run for president. And he seems right there, you know, on the cusp of also announcing like Senator Gillibrand and a bunch of these other folks. So that'll be interesting to see. I don't know that Bloomberg has that much of an effect on a potential Cuomo decision down the line, but it's certainly an interesting factor. Bloomberg, you know, again, I don't see the lane in today's Democratic Party, uh, but he shouldn't be counted out because he's Mike Bloomberg and we've seen him spend a crazy amount of money. And he certainly talk about someone with at least some high profile issues and wins. You know, this is a guy who's focused on gun control and climate change, public health. Those are things Democratic voters are certainly interested in. I don't know how many will be able to get over the fact that he's been a Republican and independent and coming back to Democrat. I think mentioning Bloomberg is important in its own right, but it also opens up some of the other factors. This race is just still very unsettled, as you would expect it would be, you know, two years before the election. Um, But Bloomberg is an indication of that. Him jumping in the race would change factors for a lot of people. Bloomberg is 76 and still considered a possible presidential candidate. So is Joe Biden. Cuomo is 60. One, uh, if if he really really wants to be president at some point in his life, it doesn't necessarily have to be now, just because of the way people are approaching longevity uh, and and when they can be viable for public office. And I, I think also it points to an interesting strategic question, which is that this is not just about the field and his own personal whims for Andrew Cuomo. This is about what is the op- organization that you need to run for president nowadays? And do you need a ground game? And how long does it take to set that up? And can you have a, a uh, campaign that relies heavily on uh, a digital uh, platform, uh, at least to begin with. You know, those are some of the questions that I think would determine when he has to actually start building that stuff and, and getting those consultants on his payroll and all that stuff people have traditionally done. If that rule book is thrown out, then he has a lot more flexibility. If the old rules apply, then pretty soon some practical parameters will be will be gathered around him. The idea that he could run as sort of the steady figure with accomplishments and a you know someone who manages government and gets things done, and almost this case that some people have made about like, maybe the electorate wants a boring president after what we've had with President Trump. Honestly, I mean, that that could be like Andrew Cuomo's appeal to an extent. Uh, But what you get at there is some some of what I was getting at with the with the issue of sort of celebrity and where some of these other candidates come in from Bernie Sanders to Joe Biden to Kamala Harris and on down. Andrew Cuomo does not have a digital, a real digital operation. He's had almost no grassroots fundraising operation. He you know, this is not someone who is really ready to run for president. You can ramp some of those things up, but he is just nowhere near those other folks in terms of having the lists ready and stuff like that. Now, when you come from New York and he's got some of those potential big donors and such, you know, maybe he can he can figure out a way to get it going. But I just really don't see the launch. It's just a very challenging path for him. 